everyone. Welcome to another episode of Presque Parisien podcast. I'm your co-host Dilara, joined by my great friend Kelly. Hi everyone. Today Dilara and I are sitting in the very beautiful Jardin du Carousel. We are in the first arrondissement mm-hmm. and today the park is very bright, very sunny. The temperature's starting to drop a little bit but it's yeah. still quite nice to sit outside. The park is a space located to the east of Tuileries Garden on the Louvre Museum side. So right now we have a beautiful view on the Louvre Museum. It's absolutely stunning. When you turn around nearly 180 degrees, you can see the Eiffel Tower just sitting nestled in the distance. There's also a beautiful view on Musée d'Orsay, which just sits Uh opposite on the Seine. And this part is on the location where Tuileries Palace used to sit, which burnt down in 1871. Hmm. It's connecting the Louvre. And then you have Jardin du Carousel and then Jardin du Tuileries all the way to Place de Concorde. Yeah, it's a beautiful, fancy location, I would say, but it's free to sit here. It is very free to sit here. It's lovely. Lots of dogs, lots of people doing sport. We have some people rehearsing some lines for a theatre piece, I guess, over in the corner there. And it's also a beautiful place to have a picnic as well. But I guess this will be the last episode we we record outside, Kelly, because it's getting cold, as you said. So if you folks have any recommendations to us for a calm cafe or a restaurant that would allow us to record we're looking forward to hearing your recommendations today's topic is a bit of a challenging topic but regardless we still wanted to do it because it's one of the fundamental challenges of moving abroad so it's about making Paris your home and being reborn in the city as a new individual When we come to think about it, this city really changed us so much in so many ways. We wanted to really pay a tribute to that. We'll be visiting topics like the loneliness that you have to prepare yourself to uh, when you move into a big city, the difficulty of meeting people and uh, making connections. Again, as a reminder, we'll be visiting this topic in the light of our own experiences. I mean, there are way too many factors, right, that shaped our journey here in unique ways, like our past, our personalities, our background. I mean, I would even say age, gender and race plays an important role on how you settle in a new city like Paris. So I don't think this episode will be some kind of like a guide on how to meet people, how to make connections or how to settle in. It will be more about like our reflections. So let's get into it. Back in 2015, I was living in Scotland with my husband and mm-hmm. we'd gotten married back in 2010. I had a job. <laughs> I just ate my hair. <laughs> <laughs> It's quite windy today. I had a job that I loved in corporate training and a career in people and development. And I had worked really hard to get there. Life was good and up until that point, I'd only visited Paris like maybe twice, uh, just for weekend stays. Mm-hmm. By the time 2017 rolled around, my marriage had ended and my divorce was pending. I was about to lose my job. My company had been bought over and all the work was going to be moving to uh. England. I had to think of other career options, so I decided to put myself through my TEFL, my teaching English as a foreign language qualification. I was going to receive some redundancy, like a mm-hmm. severance pay, uh, and I knew that that money would help me travel somewhere. So during all of this, I had been practicing my French just as a mm-hmm. hobby. 
Um, I'll explain a, a little bit later how I found people to actually practice with, but it made sense for me to think about going yeah. to France. If I was going to go to France, then where else was I going to be but Paris, obviously. That's true, yeah. My only fear was that like no one in a city like Paris would actually need a TEFL teacher, hmm. so I was a little bit concerned that I wouldn't be able to find a job when I came here, but I was wrong about that, yeah. and I'll talk a little <laughs> bit about that later too. So ultimately I made my decision to stay close to my family in Scotland and stay in France for probably about six months maximum. Mm -hmm. That was six years ago <laughs> and I've learned a lot since coming here. I left Scotland to start a new chapter of my life because my happy ever after fell apart yeah. and I came here to heal, to find my independence, to find myself again, to find my voice again and I owe so much to this place and really it's a place that I now call my home. Nice. I think the main difference of our arrival here is the fact that you came here thinking it would be a short-term stay and I came here determined to stay here, I, I mean, at least in Europe. And I actually didn't know this about you up until very recently that you just came here for a short stay because yeah. I met you about like three years ago <laughs> and you were still here, right? Not, not for six months. Yeah. And I guess like I have some questions to ask you about this later on. Uh, but yeah, my story is a bit different than yours because I moved to Istanbul for my studies uh, for university when I was 18 and I stayed there to work and during my mid-twenties I came to the realization that I did not really belong to Istanbul or to Turkey to that matter. Um, my lifestyle, the way I carried myself as a woman didn't really meet the standards of Turkish society or the culture. I always felt like an outcast, like felt judged by everyone constantly because of who I was basically wow, okay. and I never had strong bonds with my family and kept changing my friend circle pretty frequently right. uh, so either Izmir or Istanbul never really felt like home to me and I felt like a bit of a nomad but no home. There was also the political context given in Turkey, it was going pretty downhill, we could feel the government pushing more and more conservative laws and regulations. Mm -hmm. They were doing it at a pretty slow pace though back then, because I grew up in a quite liberal, I would say, Turkey in the 90s where things were advancing and becoming more modern and open-minded. So as someone who had grown up in that kind of progression, I could easily see the regression that had started in, I would say, early 2010s. Right, okay. um, I mean, I explained this in the pilot episode. I decided to leave Turkey for good around 2011, 12, I would say. And then I started looking for opportunities abroad. And because I was working as a psychologist with children, I looked into becoming an English teacher like you right, or yeah. like an au pair. Um, but I really quickly gave up on that idea because it's almost impossible to get a work permit and a sponsored visa through these jobs, uh, okay. at least in Paris. Maybe things changed. I don't know. Um, I was also looking into actually changing my career overall and moving into the tech industry. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to focus on this and find a job in tech. Uh, the job hunt took about eight months, maybe a year. I mean, it was so hard to land interviews to begin with. Yeah. I kept getting this generic response. Uh, we're looking for candidates who already have the legal right to work in the EU. Right. I mean, the doors uh, shut, uh, slam on your face immediately. Basically, when I finally 
uh, got actually accepted for a position here. The visa process was also long. It was about six to eight months. So when we, when I come to look at it back at it now, it was a very long journey. Yeah. Well, the reason I'm talking about this is because, as I said earlier, my purpose of coming here was a conscious decision. I really wanted to make Paris my home because I felt like I didn't have a home. I didn't come here as a refugee fleeing home that they no longer had. I didn't come here like a postgraduate student having a gap year or like an expat trying out something new or adding experiences to their CV. So Paris was never a pit stop for me. and. A job in Paris was really my only shot of getting out of Turkey with financial security because I didn't have anyone supporting me financially. Uh, I basically came here to rebuild my life from scratch, uh, all alone, with no help from anyone. And I never took this experience for granted. I knew from day one of moving here that it would be hard, yeah. tiring, and an expensive journey. Yeah. But knowing it doesn't make it easier, right? <laughs> Yeah. And I said to myself, you have to go through this until you get your French nationality, which I did later on. Um, so yes, moving here was really my second chance in making a better life for myself and making, my, making Paris my home. Uh, and I think this purpose in general really helped me shape my approach around like making connections and meeting people and making uh, friends here. But like, as I said, I wanted to ask you this question what made you stay because I've always wondered like what makes people stay for the long term and if the people you met along the way had an um, impact on this decision basically is that is that dog gonna pee like right there <laughs> I don't know it's so... the fact that I made friends and I had mm -hmm. a small circle around me when I arrived mm -hmm. did help yeah Besides that, mm -hmm. it took an awful lot of effort to move to a new country yeah. in the first place. And as the time went on, I did manage to find a better job. Um, I started as a nunu for two kids in oh. the 18th. That was my very first job when I was here. And I was earning like seven euro an hour. I did finally find my job teaching. Mm -hmm. uh, I taught for one school under a CDD contract. And then I taught for a different school under an auto-entrepreneur mm -hmm. contract, which was me working freelance, yeah. which again took an awful lot of administration and an awful oh, lot of time to, to find it. That's such a nightmare. And also... Um, you have to do an awful lot of your own sort of financing and budgeting etc for taxes but we'll talk about maybe that at some point I found a better job which was one of the job I, where I met you Yeah. I found myself a relationship and I found myself a better place to stay mm -hmm. so my life here gradually did just get better and better mm -hmm. the longer I stayed and it just started becoming easier Yeah. so eventually the thought of actually leaving again or leaving to go home to restart everything again just felt just like too much to do mm. and I, I stayed here really without really thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, how many times can you really start over in life like after doing it all over again? So I totally, I, that resonates with me as well, yeah. So I met a French friend in Glasgow uh, and he then invited me to his birthday party mm -hmm. which I went to and I met lots and lots of French people who were mm -hmm. all his friends there. When I had started talking about moving to Paris I was a little worried about coming of here course. alone and he said you know don't worry about it my friends will take care of you and you know what they really did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. and I know the friends that she's talking about uh, I actually met my current partner through those friends so everything is connected. <laughs> 
you will never really be invited into an established group of friends on your own merit. You kind of have to be introduced mm. or vouched for by someone who is part of that group. So here groups can include old university friends, mm -hmm. colleagues, or people who come from the same city as you who all came to Paris to mm -hmm. find work. But ultimately, groups like that, it's like trying to infiltrate the mafia sometimes. Yeah, I was just going to say the alumni mafia. It's really <laughs> like everyone I meet here that is already in a circle of friends, uh, they've all been to school together. Yeah. Like it's really, uh, I guess that's when you make friends. Yeah. <laughs> and you, then at, it stays. At school. You, you, you can't make friends once you're past like 30. Yeah. I also felt that because I'd restarted my life at mm -hmm. 38, I mm -hmm. always felt like I was the oldest person in the room. And for some reason, that made me feel a, a, a little outside of that group. Yeah, I guess I get that. And for me, it was more about coming from a Middle Eastern country. I was the only one who wasn't Western. So that didn't. Yeah. That also made me feel like I was the outcast again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I guess these are also about our insecurities, but th these things come up when you're trying to settle into a new city and trying to make friends. Like, it's it's hard. Mm -hmm. And Yeah, you're right. When you're in a group of strangers trying to make a good impression, all of your insecurities come out, yeah. whether it's your age or whether it's your accent or whether it's where you, where you come mm -hmm. from originally. Like, if you walk into these situations 100% secure in yourself, then... You're fake. <laughs> You're no. doing it wrong. <laughs> uh, no, kudos to those people who have uh, a good self-esteem and that. But it's like a performance when you're introducing yeah. yourself all over again to a new person. Friends, yeah. dating, colleagues, whatever. So yeah. it's always about trying to perform uh, a better version of yourself. Exactly, yeah. We're probably talking about something quite universal here. Yeah. And this, uh, this will be the same everywhere. That This isn't just necessarily this city. But it's notable for me coming from Glasgow because it's such an open, welcoming mm. city. Uh, the people are really warm and friendly mm. and you can talk to strangers in bars and you can talk to strangers in the street. Mm. It's a cultural difference because that just doesn't happen here. No, not really. People would either think you want something from them or you're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what happens in Glasgow. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and I just never noticed. <laughs> so I had to start everything over again. I mm -hmm. had to use lots of resources to try and meet some people. And I did meet some people, yeah. you know. Um, but it doesn't mean that everyone you meet ends up being like a lifelong friend. Yeah. Uh, you meet people once and, you know, not even talking about dating here. You know, you meet someone once and then you never see them again. Um, meeting people isn't difficult, but making connections is. Yeah. Here, you only feel lonely if you let yourself feel lonely. If you take rejection personally, and again, like I'm not even talking about dating, but just the perception of people not mm -hmm. making any time for you, it may feel like that, but it's not actually personal. There are so many options to keep yourself socially active, and you just need to put yourself out there. That's Connection, so true. Yeah, and like connections don't always stick, but when they do, like they are meaningful and they are true and special. And also, like I couldn't agree more on this. What you just said there, you only feel lonely if you let yourself feel lonely. I'm someone who likes solitude. Okay, I'm very comfortable being in my own company. I think we should define maybe what loneliness means because you can be surrounded by people and still feel very lonely. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And I get that, I felt that when I was hanging out with people who are not my kind of people. 
But with my kind of people, it's really never like that. I guess that's what you mean when you said like the meaningful, true connections are the ones that stay. I know you never watched Bojack Horseman, but there's this episode that goes underwater. No one speaks during the entire episode. And at the end of the episode, he's trying to make amends with someone. And he writes an apology letter, uh, which starts with, in this terrifying world, all we have are the connections we make. And my voice breaks even when I like think about this quote because it resonates uh, with me so heartbreakingly well. It took me a long time to make these connections here. I'd say like four, five years at the very least. And it's not like I haven't tried, like you said, I really did put myself out there, but it just didn't work. And now I have this very close friend circle uh, we call our group Cluster, again, another series reference, uh, Sensei, sorry. But yeah, we're about uh, six, five individuals in this group and everyone is from different nationalities, genders, sexual ori orientation and ages. So I would call our friend circle very diverse. And we really found shelter in each other and it happened really organically. Having them as my chosen family really means the world to me it's not like we hang out every day or we don't like not even every week uh, we are all very like independent and solidary individuals i guess that's also what made us stick together uh, they're not like my support group or anything i am my therapist for that but i do anything for them and i know they would do they would do the same and i also have other friends uh, that i managed to form a connection with like you yeah. for example and having you all in my life did help me massively making this city my home. Oh my god, I'm super emotional now. Yeah. But... <laughs> we had to stop the recording and cry a little bit. <laughs> no, but it's, it's important to, to talk about making these connections. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how we can make these connections. Yeah, like, like the resources. You, the resources, yeah, yeah. exactly. So... Yeah, coming here, one of the main things you can use would be like a like a, a meetup website. Yeah, um, I use that. Yeah. It's actually called Meetup. I don't know if the website still exists, but it was called Meetup. It was, yeah. And I think you could meet up. You could meet up with people with any theme, right? Yeah. So, um, I was in a group of 20s, 30s, somethings girls or something like that. And the aim of the group was like, it's so easy to go on a date using the apps, but it's so hard to find a friend date. Right. Uh, so I use that group to meet a lot of people and right. I still see some of them. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, I know that there's, there's very niche ones, like uh, there's a knitting meetup. Ah, oh, okay. For Every, knitting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everyone, everyone goes to a quite bar and knits. And, yeah. <laughs> so wholesome did you uh, try it no i, I know you do quilts though i do <laughs> i don't think everyone can bring a sewing machine to meet up imagine <laughs> the noise <laughs> no that's not gonna happen but yeah so creative meetups you know mm -hmm. so you can do these sort of things Mm -hmm. uh, drawing classes, all that sort of thing. Visiting exhibitions, like there was an arts lover or whatever kind of a meetup group as well. I think I did some meetups through there too. Yeah, um, and then the one that I used and one I used very successfully was a language exchange website 
called conversationexchange.com. Oh, okay. And I started using this when I was back in Scotland, which is how I found the people who I started practicing my French with. Nice. I so, never did language exchanges. How do they go? Did you enjoy? I'm, I know you still do them. I do. Yeah, oh, I even s- online you yeah. do it, right? I still do them. And uh, yeah, I still speak to people on Skype every now and again. Obviously, being in Paris now, it's a lot easier to meet face to face. And honestly, this website does produce various different results. Uh, and so I've, I've made a few genuine connections on uh, Conversation Exchange. The first guy I connected with actually helped me find my very first apartment when I moved to, ah. to Paris. Is this, is this the one who gave you the book as well? No, he was a, oh. no, <laughs> was the, a different one. Yeah, the, yeah, the, you no. have so many language exchange buddies. <laughs> he, um, I never saw him again after that book oh. exchange. Um, no, this guy, uh, he, had a, he had a friend who was leaving to go travelling for six months and she was leaving her flat vacant, mm-hmm. so he recommended me to her and that's how I found my first flat in Montparnasse so he was like a, he was quite an important person for me when I first came here mm-hmm. we went to football games together he took me up the uh, Arc de Triomphe ah, you nice. know all that sort of stuff so we hung out quite a lot and unfortunately I, we lost contact and I don't see him as much anymore that's also what happens you connect with someone they introduce you to another person and then you, it's like six degrees, degrees of separation yeah. you don't see that person again but putting yourself out there to meeting that first person helps yeah. you get to the sixth exactly <laughs> Um, another very notable person was uh, the guy who I spoke with all through COVID. My French was obviously improving quite a lot, mm-hmm. but during COVID, because everyone was locked down, me and him connected on Skype. He was doing studies to be a French teacher. I was obviously still had my English teaching qualification, so we gave each other real lessons in French and English using real resources, using wow. real like exercises and stuff. And after I spent that time with him yeah, during 2020, my my French level skyrocketed and it of was course. thanks to him. So, And I recently, uh, back in May, I recently saw him again in Thailand. So, oh yeah, yeah, I remember this person, you talked about him. Yeah, yeah. so we, we did stay pretty good friends uh, for quite a long time. I haven't spoken for a while, but again, these things come and go. Yeah, that's true, that's true. And then, of course, you have dating apps. Um, I don't really want to go into too much around dating apps in Paris because I think it works pretty much the same way everywhere else. Yeah. Um, various degrees of success. I did a full deep dive into like dating in New York, dating in London. I listened to podcasts. I read some articles. It's all the same. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all depressing. <laughs> yeah, we've both been on dating apps on and off. And yeah, you can, as you said, we can you can meet people. Um, but it didn't work out for us. No. Yeah, yeah. But I also like met many people who came here openly. They said to me, I came to Paris to find love. Okay. And then all these people that told me that when they could not find love, they actually left. Right, okay. I think in society, like us, especially women, we are conditioned in a way to find our other half. And if we don't manage to find that person, then we're somehow like incomplete, uh, as if we like haven't accomplished our main goal in this life and I think this idea pushes people to search for that person and the minute we feel like they're the one or whatever we start writing these scenarios in our heads and we fall for that person who is actually in our head and I think we have difficulty separating what we created with the actual person Uh, and I know this because I've done it myself to others Uh And others done it to me. Like uh, it's it's hard, uh, and I think for some people, uh, loneliness, dying alone, or whatever, is such a dreadful thought 
they end up being in a relationship just so that they're not going to be alone. I mentioned that I've, I've been doing therapy. I'll be mentioning that quite often. I'm, I'm a big, big fan of it. And if I haven't done that and faced my own demons, I don't think I would be here uh, with a solid, like loving, healthy relationship with my partner. If I was to meet him, uh, let's say, I don't know, even like three years ago, we wouldn't be together. Uh, does this relationship make me feel more settled here in Paris? Yes, of course. But does it define my life, my purpose of being in Paris? No, not, not at all. Uh, and I think the reason I'm talking about this is because if you're coming to this city to find love, yeah, maybe it'll, wor it'll work out for you. I don't want to crash your dreams or whatever. But I think it's kind of unfair to expect Paris to bring you that love even when you don't know yourself what that means to you. Yeah, coming at it from a different angle because like I said at the top of the episode, my happily ever after fell apart. Mm -hmm. The last thing I wanted when I came to Paris was love mm -hmm. or like another relationship with someone else or being dependent on someone else. Yeah. Um, I came here fully for myself and to, to have my independence, all, all the stuff mm -hmm. I talked about before. Um, I did find myself in a relationship for a while mm -hmm. when I was in Paris and it still wasn't right. So, I mean, this is another universal theme. If you, if you get into a relationship for the reason just to be in one, it's never going to work out and you're going to end up unhappy in the long run. And I've learned that if you leave where you are in your situation and come to a new city, you bring all of that crap with you yeah. and it's not until you can sit down and face that you have that crap to deal with that you're going to go over it and be able to move on yeah no matter where you go your luggage is with you right exactly that's it and i know like there are also many people who moved here in paris for their partners uh i mean if it's working out for them it's good However, when it's not working out and if they don't have their own financial independence or even if uh, their visa to live or work here, if their visa is bound to their relationship here, basically, that's what I'm trying to say, then that's a bit of a challenging situation. Because in France today, if you're a foreigner on a visa through your partner or your spouse and if they're like threatening you to deport you, or take your children away, you can't really take this to the police. It doesn't exist in the law, so the law enforcement cannot categorize this as under violence. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, unfortunately it's like that. And this is why I never wanted to get my French nationality through civil partnership or marriage. Right, okay. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I don't judge anyone who's done that. I mean, sorry, if you get your nationality, you're safe, but if you don't have it, and if you have a temporary... Sure visa to live here yeah. then it becomes tricky and uh, I just wanted to mention this because I did find this um, association recently that I want to uh, mention uh, for those listeners who are in a situation like this if you know or if you know someone who needs these resources there is uh, an association called Women for Women France okay. they provide um, all these uh, guidance resources in English and other languages as well We'll put it in the show notes. Just have a look if you know someone that is in need or you yourself need these resources. I think it's important to have that. Okay, great. You just mentioned, Kelly, you come and you move. You also move uh, with the, all the crap that you carry around with you, the big luggage, right? Um, did you manage to get rid of that when you moved here? Like, I kind of want to know how Paris changed you. 
I had had some really challenging times before coming here. Um, feeling trapped in a life that I hated mm. and starting that life over was actually really liberating. I found confidence where I didn't know that I had it. Uh. I learned that I was allowed to take up space and most importantly I learned that there are no rules or judgement and living the life that you want to live. Yeah, that's very true. Is it related to the fact that you moved all alone or is it more related to the Scottish society, you would say, like compared to French? I think it's because I did it alone. Mm-hmm. I I had to build those things in myself to, to be able to stay here for longer than six yeah. months. <laughs> that is very true. I now feel really settled here and I felt it really strongly for the first time. I had gone home to Glasgow for a short visit mm-hmm. uh, and I, when I knew it was over I knew I was leaving again and I was really leaving a home for a home. Mm. Um, I mean I have love and abundance in Glasgow, I have friends and family yeah. there who love me loads and who I love just as much um, but when I return to Paris it's getting back to my life, it's getting back to my life and the life that I love and the life that I've built for myself. That's lovely to hear, like you feel that way about Paris. Um, You know, like I asked the question about, is it because of the Scottish culture versus the French one? Uh, Because um, I would say Turkey really had a toll on me, like growing up in Turkey and having my early 20s living in Istanbul as a young woman. Uh, The fact that I felt so out of place, I think had a lot to do with how women are seen in Turkish society. We keep getting interrupted by kids. There's, there's kids everywhere. <laughs> but guys. yeah, literally they're like fruit flies yeah. around I know, us. I know. I feel like a big open <laughs> banana. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I was just saying that I really felt out of place and I think that had a lot to do with me being a woman in Turkey and how women are seen in the Turkish society. I mean, again, I do not want to overgeneralize the entire population of 85 million. Yeah, sure. However, the rise of conservatism, especially political Islam, did have a political and a personal impact on my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just knew I deserved more liberty and freedom as well as respect. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying France is much more different in terms of gender equality, but in general, I- I'll say that here... Uh, women in France are in a better place right okay and I think again what you said about like have doing this alone by yourself uh, gave you that independence I I do resonate with that too because France really Paris uh, gave me that freedom that I was seeking for and liberated me in so many ways uh, that I could discover my voice my identity it took me a while to make that connection of my escape from the country that I was born in to my womanhood. And the minute it clicked, uh, I got really angry. Yeah. I was like, they wasted my years. Yeah. Like, why? And I got so angry and I used that anger as my fool and got really deep into activism. I started writing opinion articles for a liberal Turkish newspaper. Then I wrote my nonfiction uh, book uh, about uh, personal being uh, political in womanhood, which is only published in Turkish. But basically, I started re-educating myself on so many issues around gender, 
uh, and that means like meaning um, learning things as well as unlearning things, yeah. right? And I think the unlearning is the hardest part. Yeah. So up until my 30s, I'd say I really like lived for the male approval and male gaze. Uh, oh, I used well, to... I, I don't think that's, that was ever just you. I mm. think in my early 20s, up the way through to your late 20s, 30s, I think women maybe are yeah. more inclined to satisfy the male gaze exactly like completely, completely unconsciously that's yeah maybe it's not just a country thing it's yeah. also period it's also it's a universal thing yeah. again but at Absolutely. least like being here alone and unlearning all that stuff and experimenting with like do I want to put on makeup do I want to shave my legs do I want to do this and that yeah. and it really changed me the yeah. way I look at things being here by myself yeah. in this country that allowed me to do yeah. it without judgment as exactly well. yeah. exactly but what i'm s trying to say is that paris as a living here as a single woman on my own had, had a huge impact on this basically yeah yeah, yeah. Um, even though you've told me a lot about the political landscape and the mm -hmm. sociological changes that happened in, in your country you have spoken to me about this before but i can't really imagine what that would be like growing up there with like a a more oppressive like heavily heavily masculine culture that you grew up in yeah. and then to come to uh not even just paris but to come to to europe and do mm -hmm. all of that on your own it's, it's really admirable that you managed to to get out get your nationality and do all of this for yourself and how good and how freeing it feels for you to be here now and i understand why these connections and these friends means so much to you exactly and it's it wasn't just a culture shock it was also the fact like having this kind of freedom for the first time in my life is very overwhelming and while doing all this like activism writing i always had my like full-time job on the side uh, that allowed me the financial stability but i continued in a way living in this limbo uh, not really belonging here still having some kind of hope for turkey and trying to change things there thinking like i have a better life and my life should be implemented there I had that point of view as well which I don't think is okay to have but I did I did have it and yeah it was confusing time but I I did change I did grow and I think I realized I also needed to concentrate more on my actual life here because we talked about settling in right mm -hmm. like finding a job that suits me better makes me happier <laughs> pays me better yeah. Adopting my cat, finally starting to take care of someone else other yeah. than myself. And I I would die for my cat, <laughs> Neptune. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and strengthening my relationship with my friends, like you mentioned, and eventually like moving into a better apartment, which happened at the coincidental timing of me meeting my partner. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, I do feel much more settled here. And I don't feel as much as in a limbo anymore. I mean, it's been a decade, right? It's about yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I I would say uh, for the first time I felt settled here uh, was when I finally got my nationality. But it I didn't have the paperwork. It was during COVID. Yeah. So the minute I got my passport, which was July 2020, uh -huh. so exactly seven years after my ar arrival, I was like, okay this is my home now yeah. like that's I think that's when I actually felt home and I don't think anyone uh, but an immigrant in a country that has the risk of losing their status in a first world country can yeah. understand that yeah. so that feeling of okay I'm safe here now yeah. yeah that that's when I felt settled okay I think that's a lovely place to end it Delara yeah. um, do we have a quote today 
Yes, we do. It is uh, from Sasha Guitry, who is a French actor. So he said, being a Parisian is not about being born in Paris. It is about being reborn there. Oh, that's nice. What do you think? <laughs> it's, you know, after doing our pilot episodes and talking about whether or not we identify as Parisians or not, mm -hmm. and I said right off the bat, well, no, because I wasn't born and raised mm -hmm. in this city. Well, that quote directly contradicts me, doesn't it? So, <laughs> like, um, I do feel like I was, I've was i been reborn in some way in this mm -hmm. city. Um, I still don't think I, I deserve the status of being Persian or not, but I definitely feel that, like I said earlier, I owe this city a great deal mm -hmm. to how I've grown, what I've learned, and what my life is now. So that's I love that quote, actually. Yeah, That's exactly why I chose it, because I think it really relates to how we recreated ourselves here and being reborn here. Does that mean it makes you a Parisian? Honestly, I don't care. <laughs> I, I feel like we were reborn here, yeah. and I think that that really does qualify us as Parisians, regardless of the stereotypes of what a Parisian person or a woman should yeah. look like. Uh, but yeah, I think we're going to keep contradicting ourselves and that's that's the beauty of like, we are also learning a lot as we're doing yeah. this, studying for this podcast. So I like that. Yeah. yeah. If you would like to send us uh, some topics, ideas to talk about, you can hit us up on the link. Throw us a follow, as Kelly says. I love that phrase. Throw us a follow on Instagram. That's also on show notes. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening. Until next week. Au revoir. Ciao.